Hello and welcome back to Tells. Hi, Andrew Neamey. We're, we're in London. Can you believe it? We're here in London. Can you believe it? Oh my God, it's so exciting. We're here in London. Can you believe it? We are. We are in London, United Kingdom. Andrew's favorite city, possibly. Yep. My somewhere in the city that I like. It's got to be your favorite. It's got to be your favorite. I too. can't. The weather. It's be everyone's favorite. No, the weather in London makes you know it really pubs? hard. You know how many be. pubs they have here? <laughs> that they live have here. thousands. I know that. Thousands of pubs. And Andrew has taken a picture of at least 500 of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are we doing in London, Andrew Nimi? We are here for the 888 event that's happening in London. Well, I think it's London. It's it Stratford. is still London. London. So London, uh, 888 London event going on in Stratford. Uh, I think the buy-in is 1,100 pounds, and they're having a shot clock in this tournament, which is my first experience with a shot clock. What does that mean? That means you get 30 seconds to act on your hand. No extended tanking. Well, you oh. do get like a couple of buttons, I think, if you need extra time and a complicated hand. So you, I think you get a couple of opportunities to extend your 30-second time bank. Okay, so what happens when you run out of your... Your hand is dead. What does that mean? It means you fold your hand. Oh, okay. So what do you? how do you think that will impact the tournament? Uh, for me, I don't think it'll impact my experience at all because I think that like when I'm playing most of my decisions in my hands are pretty much made up like right away there's this saying in poker where it's think long think wrong so usually your gut instinct is the uh, the correct one and you sometimes talk yourself into making a, a decision that goes against your gut instinct and ends up being the wrong decision oh that's a really good saying but I don't know how it applies to say I'm if I was new as a tournament player there's no way. I think that's completely wrong. When you're new, you still have to think through every decision. But as you become more efficient and it becomes a part of your unconscious competence, right? Like the four stages of learning. Before it's unconscious competence, there's no way to say think long, think wrong. Because you don't even know what you're supposed to do. Well, you might think that. But you'll find out that when you're playing poker, for the most part... The recreational players move pretty quickly, and it ends up being the opposite, where it's the professional players, usually a select few, that tend, that tend to just take ungodly amounts of time thinking through who knows what. I don't know what they're thinking about, but so you think they it just... takes so much time so, so often that it becomes less fun for the recreational player, especially when they're like getting stared down by a professional and they're apparently calculating all these different things. <laughs> Uh, it's pretty annoying. So this sort of rectifies that problem, and uh, I think it's going to be better for the recreational player. It's more fun when things are moving at a much faster pace. So for the recreational player, but it is eleven hundred dollar or eleven hundred pound buy-in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a main event. So like, there's smaller tournaments in this series as well. You know, there's like I think all the way down to like eighty pounds or something. Right. Um, so this is the main event. Uh, I think they have a high roller event that's only twenty two hundred pounds. <laughs> so. These events that 888 put together, they're pretty approachable uh, for recreational players. And you don't have to play the main event. There's some other events you can play. For a main event, 1100 is pretty cheap. And so you get this shot clock, 30, 30 seconds to act on your hand mm-hmm. or else it's dead. 
Mm-hmm. Any anything else that's crazy going on in the tournament, or that's no, it? No, I think the rest of it is pretty standard, Play. normal tournament. I played the main event in Barcelona. Uh, that was also an 888 event. There was no shot clock on that one, and very standard tournament. Pretty good structure, slow moving, lots of play, lots of chips. Okay, so what is a standard structure? I know some of them are really fast, so what that means is that the blinds go up really quickly? Is that a if, fast structure? Yeah, that would be a fast structure. Okay. So, like, say the blinds are... Uh, 200 400 right in one level uh, I think a good structure I mean I'm not like a tournament expert but I think a, a, a good structure would have a 250 500 level some would jump to like 300 600 okay. yeah some would jump to like 4 8 Is so it? there's lots of like incremental jumps in the blind stru- in the blind levels in a good structure so what do you think it takes to be a tournament player uh, you have to hate yourself <laughs> I don't know uh, this, the painful stretches are gonna be longer like the variance is higher, right? So you only cash something around 20% of the time. That's for like a good player, a good tournament player. Okay. So you're only making money 20% of the time you go to work as a professional poker tournament player. So do you think you would play cash games on the side to supplement the 20% or are you just all in as a tournament player and then try and get like a sponsorship through one of these poker casinos or I don't know poker outlets so you that you're like an official player for them I don't know anybody personally that strictly plays tournaments and doesn't play any cash games one guy that I know his name is Dave who was pretty much just playing the uh the daily tournaments around Las Vegas and was the only person that I know was making a living doing that but even he was playing even he was playing cash games uh, occasionally on the side i think i don't know it seems like the only guys that are just playing tournaments uh tend to be playing a little bit higher like you know the high roller guys are playing a lot of tournaments and that makes it worth it when you're playing at that high of a level to be able to travel to all these places the travel costs can be pretty high yeah if you can get a sponsorship that obviously is huge um, for helping in that regard so I don't know. It's a little tough to be just playing low stakes tournaments um, because you're probably not going to be sponsored. And even the money that you are going to be making if you're successful, if you're a winning player, it's not going to be that much. And the travel costs are going to eat into that decent amount. Hmm. Conundrum. Mm. Do you think people sort of decide I am going to be a tournament player versus a cash game player? You decided, right? You're like, I don't want to play tournaments or I don't want to play that many tournaments. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's like, there's there's a couple of, I know there's a lot of tournaments in Los Angeles. There's always a series that seems to be going on, whether that's at the Commerce or the Bike. And their series go on for like a month and a half. Okay. So if you live in an area where there's that many tournaments, I mean, I guess you could split your time even between LA and Vegas. I suppose it's possible. I just always, when I started playing poker, Guys like Patrick Antonius used to say, you know, you, you just can't make the same amount of money playing tournaments as you can in cash games. There's always going right. to be more opportunity to make more money in cash games. Um, now it's like, you know, from what I hear, I, don't, I really don't play that many tournaments, but tournaments are always obviously going to be softer than cash games. There's Just because it's harder to make a living playing tournaments. So there's less professionals in the tournaments. The fields are going to be softer. And I think that's still the case for sure. Again, if you live in one of those areas, perhaps it's possible to play okay. tournaments for a living. But yeah, I always just approached it as a cash game player, and that's what I was. And so I've played like 4% of my poker play throughout the years in tournaments. Okay, so I take it you're not going to switch gears and become a tournament player anytime soon? 
I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't mind mixing them in a little bit more. They're they're always fun. There's no there's no more fun experience than going deep in a tournament. It's just a very fleeting experience. Oh yeah. It's hard to catch those reins and hold on <laughs> for more than one once in a long while. All right. Thanks for all that tournament info. Okay. So now we need to pack up and go and go and enjoy London. All right. Yeah. This is over. Yeah, it's done. Ten oh. minutes. How long is this? <laughs> Ten minutes. That's too short. <laughs> That's too short. Yeah, we need but more it's content a, for the people. I know, but I want to go and enjoy London. What are we going to do today? Uh, I don't know. Do tourists right, What are we going to do? I mean, which pubs are we going to? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I have to record. I have to record more vlog. We started episode one from London yesterday, and I'm only doing, like, the first... I'm only doing like the first three minutes of this episode over the course of like two days. So there's a lot going on in this first three minutes. So we have to go and go to all the tourist sites. <laughs> Sigh. Yes. Um, I was hoping to go to more like galleries and markets and not Big Ben, London Eye. <laughs> but it's for the vlog, I guess. Rough life. Rough. I know, right? Um, but we did have some listener feedback. All right, listeners. So we got a message from Ginger. It's always good to know we actually have listeners. <laughs> Isn't it all 10 listeners? <laughs> but we did get a message from Ginger, who is moving from Northern California with her uh, significant other. They've never lived together. So moving uh, to where? They're moving to Las Vegas in November. I don't know. Terrible decision. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Uh, so they haven't lived together. So this is the first time they're going to be living together. So they're moving to a new city together. Together. Wow. And, and going to be living together for the first time. This is huge. And her significant other is a poker player. She wants to know if we have any ideas to get them off to a good start. Hmm. With regards to sharing space, time together, time apart, we both like our alone time, and also getting to know our new city of Vegas and making new social connections, especially since I may be having a lot of weekend nights on my own, and neither of us are big partiers. Ginger covered all the bases. I love this. Okay, so fairly new relationship, 18 months, moving to Las Vegas together. She ha is self-employed, so has can set her own schedule, which is great. Mm -hmm. And he's a poker player. Can also set his own schedule. Right. They like their uh, space, their personal time. And together time. And together time, of course, since they're moving in together. That's, uh, that's exciting. It is Things exciting. Things are happening, Ginger yeah. and boyfriend. I would suggest getting as big of a place as they can afford, <laughs> as many square feet as you can find. I would say work semi-opposite schedules, but maybe not completely opposite schedules. Probably pretty similar to what we do. I guess it depends on like how much you value uh, like going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time. If you really value those things, like starting your day at the same time or, you know, ending your day together and going to bed together. If it's not super important, then I would kind of like stagger it a little bit to where you're able to spend some time together, like have a meal um, where it's like her, her lunch and his breakfast. I think that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, we <coughs> always have a my lunch, your breakfast. Yeah. It's my first meal of the day. You might have had a snack earlier or something. And we then like cook something when I wake up. And then he might go off and play poker. She is 
don't know if she works from home, but uh, then, you know, she's got some time on her own, which she values. And uh, then you have, you know, a little bit of everything. You get some time together, and then you're off doing your own thing after that. And then maybe he comes home just before, like, she's going to bed, or, you know, an hour or two before she's going to bed. Okay, so I think it's exciting, I'm sure, to finally be sort of moving in together and being together. And I would say test it. There's no one way to do it. Mm -hmm. So you're just going to have to test. But I really like the idea of getting a bigger place mm -hmm. as your budget can afford, uh, uh, can afford you. Um, because then at least you'll be on separate sides of the house or whatever, one upstairs, one downstairs, whatever the case is. And the great thing about moving to Las Vegas is that you can get a lot of space for your dollar. So that's a good move. With regards to your relationship, I think, like I said, it's going to be tested. But for me, I think the most important things are going to be to set a date and time for a date, right? Uh, Andrew and I, a long, uh, many years ago, picked Tuesday for our date night. And that was huge because before that, we were trying to get a date on you know i would try and get a date on saturday night or friday night you know we were still newly dating and two two weekends out of the month i could you know you just guilt him into having date night you but just could never get a date <laughs> poor girl anywhere no one would date you um so <laughs> then as our relationship grew we picked a day and it was tuesday because casinos are a little bit quieter on tuesday and that worked out a little bit better. It was usually hard for me because I had to wake up and go to work the next day. But since you set your own schedule, that shouldn't be too much of a problem. But pick a date. It's probably going to be midweek. The great thing about Vegas is that people are out every day of the week. So you never feel like you're just going to be the only two people in a restaurant on your date night or whatever the case is. Yep. Um, and for personal girl time, I love yoga so join a yoga studio if you like yoga or join sort of some sort of workout studio at least you meet somebody who's like-minded and another great tip is meetup.com you might not find all your best friends at meetup but at least it gets you out the house being social when i first moved to vegas i joined girls night out yeah. and <laughs> girls night out we used to go to you know we got invited to all the clubs uh -huh. um and we would get bottle service and then you for free for free because yeah you mean 10 or six plus girls and you'd got a table it's pretty awesome it was pretty awesome but some of the characters you met like was pretty interesting um some people were outright mean like you know? the like the other girls on your at your meetup yeah, I mean, most of the girls were lovely. Everyone's like super sweet, but some of them. Did you go to these things by yourself or with your sister? Or? Depends. Some of them I went by myself, mm -hmm. and then some. It's pretty bold of you. Uh, well, you see, I decided. I think it was. I was, ten or yeah, maybe ten, because I was very shy as a child, mm -hmm. and I remember sort of looking over. I mean, I used to think, oh my gosh. I'm so shy, I'd like to be not shy because everybody who's not shy seems to be having so much fun. <laughs> and then I feel like one day I just decided I'm not going to be shy anymore. And so you just flipped the switch in your mind and you said, I'm not going to be a shy person? Yeah, 
I mean, the execution of that was a lot different because uh-huh. I would get very nervous. And I can, sometimes it still happens when I'm very nervous, my voice starts to shake when I'm talking to somebody. Uh-huh. Or I talk a lot, like our first date, when I literally thought I, Andrew didn't get a word in edgewise. I got home and I was like, oh my God, I just spoke for like five hours. I don't even know if I heard anything or if I just talked too much. Um, and you've been talking ever since. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been talking ever since I decided I didn't want to be shy anymore. And I have had a much more fun and colorful experience because I meet a lot of people. That's uh, pretty impressive that you could just do that. I guess anybody could potentially do that. Anybody maybe not, can. Maybe not necessarily anybody, but most people. It just it takes a lot of practice and it's going to be so awkward and the conversations are going to be weird and some right. people are going to stand up and walk away from you because it's just weird. But All right, so let's get back to these meetups. So it was like <laughs> you and like seven other girls or something? Yeah, and yeah, you go, it was either to the club or to the pool or to a bar and, you know, get happy hour. Uh-huh, and so um, there's probably some that were like going crazy partying and like getting hammered. Yeah. Was that you? No, that okay. was not me. Because, I mean, if you go by yourself, then you have a, you know, you have to drive yourself home or whatever the case is. So Unless you find a nice gentleman to take you home that night. Mm, yeah, I never did any one of those. Hmm. Uh, but, yes, there were a lot of girls who we came to the club with and did not see <laughs> oh, until yeah. the next meetup because <laughs> they, you know, went off with a Good gentleman. for them. Yeah, whatever floats your boat, man. Whatever <laughs> floats your boat. And the oddest meetup group or meetup i went to was a speed dating one that was all sorts of awkward i remember going there and it was 20 guys and like three girls (laughs) what (laughs) yeah that doesn't seem like a very good setup right you would think that there would be a lot more girls than there are guys coming to a meetup or a speed dating thing but i mean if i was a guy i might be a little bit annoyed I mean, I guess it's good from your point of view. Yeah, but there was nobody I wanted to date anyway after that. And the 20, uh, 20 group, the group of 20 guys, there was no, uh, no gems? Yeah, I think I was too young for the group, <laughs> you know, because I, I think I was a little bit, uh, I thought, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. But when I got there, it was like a much older crew and I had no, I was 22, I had no business, or 24, I had no business dating somebody who was like, in their 40s that was the most awkward meetup event man high standards 20 guys no no good ones yeah but if they're 50 and you're 20 it doesn't really work out does it i mean for some people it might for me i was not i think the organizers need practice on their uh, speed dating setups just three girls three girls and 20 50 year old dudes there was never another meet uh speed dating (laughs) meetup so that tells you what disaster again but i I don't think ginger's problem is speed dating because she already has a a boyfriend i think i would i don't know how i would handle i've never been to a speed dating thing it'd be i think it would be tough for me but it'd probably be like good practice just speaking to people or yeah i mean you have to like you're kind of forced to like be put in all these different situations with all these different people in a short amount of time where you gotta like come up with things to say yeah and i mean it's it's what two five minutes it's like three or five minutes yeah okay first of all i had to explain where i was from people was like oh i have a friend in nigeria i'm like dude i'm from south africa do you know how big the continent of africa is so there was like nothing good about that (laughs) speed dating experience at all but so hopefully we answered your questions ginger i don't know that we did but hopefully
No, I think we might have helped slightly. Yeah, I think it's going to take time to get into your yeah. groove. Prayforginger.com. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it was difficult to make friends in Las Vegas? Yeah. Well, it just took a while. It took me a while. I think we went over this in a previous episode. Yeah. But, yeah, because you're never... For me, I was never, like, in the same spot every day uh, with the same group of people. So I would see some people, you know, one day, and then I would never see... I might not see them again for a month or something. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit different if you have a job, and then... You meet people at work, obviously. Yeah, plus I never got into any of the meetup stuff, which probably might have helped. Yeah. Um, so things like that are always good. I like, I never played any sports. Like, I was never on a kickball team. You know, some people do that sort of thing. Yeah. No, I was just on the grind every day. One, two, one, three. Occasionally a two, five game. And eventually met some people and, you know, made some pretty good friends. Yeah, I think a meetup for somebody who might not, you know, go into an office is great. But also, like, a meetup with something you're interested in. Just don't go to a meetup because there'll be bodies there. So, like, I joined the trail running meetup and the you know, hiking group meetup, all the stuff that I like to do, especially like go outside. And yeah, I probably should really have, helpful. I probably should have done, done some stuff like that. Like there's always people coming to Vegas to visit. So, you know, it was never like just me alone for months on end. There was always people coming and, you know, it was always a fun weekend just around the corner, but I don't know how like productive those weekends are. And, <laughs> you know, they're always fleeting because it's not like you're building a social circle in your actual city. Yeah. So, so good luck in Las Vegas, Ginger and boyfriend. I think it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. So we have one more um, user feedback question. And that is around... Hit me. Bankroll. Hit me with it. And this is from Tim. And Tim says, I am not a pro, so he's a recreational player. And he has money set aside for bankroll. Nice. And right. the question is... I know it's good to play 5% of your bankroll per buy-in. First, does that mean if a game has a cap of 1,000 and you buy in for the cap, you should have a bankroll of 20,000? Does that count in multiple buy-ins? Since I, so he has a regular paycheck and has money set aside for poker. And he mm-hmm. says, since I have a regular paycheck, how should that affect my bankroll? Can I be, play a bigger percent of my bankroll at a time because it's replenishable? but what percent should I play then? How often should I add to my bankroll to have it grow without playing poker? Whoa, 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 Tim. That's like five questions. Yeah, but Tim sounds like he already knows all the answers to all of his questions. He sounds like he's thought about it and read about it and listened to some other people already, just the way he's kind of phrasing his questions. Okay. Yeah. So you think that a 5% sort of win, like loss rate, so it's like a stop loss, right? Like a, like a risk it's like percentage. A stop loss. Yeah, Ooh. sure. Yeah, it's a stop loss. I mean, well, you're because you're always going to be topping up. Um, it's not like you're always going to be winning off the bat or you know losing that thousand and quitting. Pretty much nobody loses one buy-in and then quits or never tops up or anything like that. Some people have a stop loss of like three buy-ins for the day. Um, my, I don't really have a set stop loss because mine depends on um, the game and how I'm feeling. And, you know, various factors. If the game is really good, I'll have a bigger stop loss. But, yeah, 5%, it's reasonable. A professional player might want to risk less than that. 
like if they're buying it for a thousand, they're probably gonna want to have more than twenty thousand as a professional full time player with no other income. Yeah. Um, that's like the low, the lowest end, but you'd actually be surprised how many professional players um, probably have somewhere around that amount. It's just not super ideal, and it's really stressful because you're gonna have losing sessions. You're gonna lose two thousand dollars or three thousand dollars, and that's decent. Decent chunk. That's nobody like wants 10, to. Nobody wants to lose fifteen percent of their net worth. Okay. Um, since Tim has a job, he's for sure going to be able to get away with um, risking more and not having as big of a cushion, um, and be able to. Yeah, five percent is for sure reasonable, and uh, yeah, doesn't have to worry about it so much. Okay. So yeah, you can replenish whenever you have a losing session uh, or a downswing. You can replenish roll with income. I know he probably doesn't want to do that, but, you know, it's it's okay. It's going to happen. And, yeah, I think it just depends on how aggressive you want to be, like, towards um, reaching your goals, what your goals are, and how willing you are to accept X percentage, uh, a bigger percentage loss against your role. So what do you think, what would a goal for a recreational player be? I don't know. Everyone's different. Like it's partially dependent on how much you're studying and how much you're improving your game, because I would think that everybody wants to move up and play higher stakes. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not every single person. Maybe they just don't want the stress of the bigger swings. But I would think everybody wants to move up and play higher, and that allows you to make more money, win more money, have a higher win rate. So it's dependent on it's dependent on two things: how much you're studying, like how good your game is how how much your game is improving mm-hmm. based on studying and play of course and your uh, financial situation so you don't want to, you don't want to be risking too much too high a percentage of your bankroll and you want to be improving your game so if you're beating two five for whatever eight big blinds an hour or something like that and you have plenty of money to where if you take a shot at five ten and you lose two thousand three thousand dollars or something you move back down to two five and it doesn't matter, it doesn't change your life at all, then you should probably check it out. You should probably take a shot at five ten. Um, and then you're gonna wanna like, you know, if it goes if it goes bad, analyze those hands, share those hands that you lost with other players, even some hands that you won to make sure you did everything right. And repeat the cycle. So you just said to Tim he can share his hands with somebody. What if Tim doesn't have a somebody to share his hands with? Where can he go? Couple places. Um he, there's there's forums there's that's the free the free route um, if you don't know anybody there's poker players on poker forums out there that are findable searchable there's my buddy Benton Blakeman who started the hand history lounge um, I'm hanging out in there and Benton is pretty much the man uh, he's awesome poker player and you can share hands and get feedback direct from Benton and myself and we got some other poker players in there too um yeah uh, there's the free forums yeah you know some options that's awesome okay it sounds like tim's got it pretty much figured out uh there's no like hard and fast rule there's there's no hard and fast rule and there's also no thing that i'm gonna say that's like oh why didn't i think of that um that's like gonna steer you in this magical perfect direction well it's time to go and explore london town thank you for joining us on the podcast Thank you for listening. Thank, Thank you. you for the feedback. I love to read all the emails. I love to read all the reviews on iTunes. Um, the fact that more than five people are listening to the podcast is really exciting. 
So um, keep liking, subscribing, and yeah. Let us know about your poker relationships. Thanks for having us on your podcast, listeners. I can taste that first pint already, so I got to go. Bye. <laughs>